Our scripture is from Timothy this, this Sunday. As Paul is trying to encourage this young man in, in his charge, he, uh, he talks about uh, well, some intriguing challenges of the day that if you go back in that uh, first part of Timothy later on in, in your Bibles there, you'll, you'll see some similarities to today's challenges, and I'm looking forward to today's sermon for that. So, Timothy 1, 12 through 17, says Paul, I thank Christ our Lord who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, for whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might be displayed his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now, to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, and the only God be all honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Restoration Hardware. It's the name of an actual store. Spoiler alert, you may not find the hardware you're looking for in that store. (laughs) But it's also a fitting definition of the work of the Savior who was born to us, Jesus Christ, the Lord. Throughout Advent, we have been focusing on the Incarnation. Why it matters that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. God in the flesh. God alive in the human person of Jesus Christ. We've emphasized the practical side of this Christian belief. That God coming to be with us in Jesus represented God's move into normal human life. The human life that we share among us, recognizing that in Christ, God came to share in that same experience. And so God understands. God has empathy for us. To help us understand this, we've emphasized emphasized Jesus' work, his very human work, as a carpenter. We've had a carpenter's bench and carpenter's tools on display. Well, today we look at the mission of Jesus, the reason why he was sent, which really is the true and lasting gift of Christmas. But we do that in light of his work as a carpenter. So you might be asking yourself, well, how do we know that Jesus was a carpenter? What is our basis of that claim? Well, in the biblical accounts of Jesus' life, in two of them, the Gospels Mark 
and Matthew, Jesus is referenced as a carpenter in two different ways. Uh, The first is in Mark 6.33, where people respond to Jesus starting his public ministry and doing some pretty special things, and they're a little bit surprised, and they ask, isn't this the carpenter? They knew him as a carpenter, and up to that point, as merely a carpenter. In Matthew, they express a similar wondering, but refer to Jesus as the carpenter's son. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Referring to Joseph's profession. And according to the custom of the time, it was very likely for Jesus to have learned the trade of his father by being his apprentice. The Greek word that we translate as carpenter is tekton. And I love that Greek word, and I think we should all memorize it right now. Carpenter, tekton. Tech, the root, is the root of tech in our world today. Technology. Jesus was in a tech career. And the the word tekton actually ranges in meaning. We think of it largely in terms of carpentry but it could include a number of different professions in that day. It would cover an artisan. It could cover a contractor. It even covers those who functioned in that day as civil engineers, those who designed and built bridges and other structures for the public good. But the bottom line is this, that as a tecton, Jesus was a person that people reached out to To fix things. Jesus was sent by his heavenly father to do some fix-it work among us. Just like the carpenter works to restore wood, furniture, and other wood-constructed items, Jesus coming into the world was part of a great restoration project. 1 Timothy 1.15 puts it this way. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to Timothy, says, This saying is worthy of full acceptance and trust. That the reason why there was a Christmas, and there is a Christmas, is that Christ Jesus came into the world for what? To save sinners. Save sinners. 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 Human beings who struggle with sin. Sin. Attitudes and actions that that separate us from God. that, That do not hit the mark of God's intention for our lives as they were created in pure goodness. Sinners are those who need fixing. And so every human being who hears this message has to decide, am I one Jesus came into the world for, or is that someone else? For I, myself, am not part of that group, that sorry lot that Jesus came to fix. But sinners' relationship with God is broken. But there's something that we need to say here that is connected to our theme of Jesus experiencing human life. 
One of the things that we've been emphasizing is that by becoming human, Jesus is a testimony that God does not despise the things of human life. To quote, uh, you mentioned the new Star Wars film. Uh, and uh, we watched as a family uh, the, uh, was it The Empire Strikes Back? It was The Empire Strikes Back. And Yoda is training Luke Skywalker. And he's speaking of, actually there's a lot of Gnosticism in Star Wars, just by the way, that w- is challenged by the incarnation. Uh, Yoda says, you know, crude ma- talks about crude matter, this is, right? We need to get beyond the crude matter into the spirit, life, and world. God descended into the crude matter. And so it's not so crude after all. It's actually pretty special. God made us and created us. And this life, the relationships, the thoughts, the actual work of our hands, it matters. It's important. And while sin is not good by any definition, and actually by its definition, there is something good about understanding oneself as a sinner. That's because this acknowledgement, this simple acknowledgement, puts you in line to be a recipient of the gentle, capable work of the carpenter. You get a spot, and you have a place on the project list of the one who can fix sin-broken people. Without recognizing our own sin, our own need for a savior, we miss out on the restoration work of the incarnate carpenter. The great reformer Martin Luther is famous for his phrase, sin boldly. Now by that, you wonder, hey, how come Martin Luther, uh, the father of Lutheranism and a great Protestant reformer, is telling people to go out and sin? What he really means by that is, is he emphasizes the dignity of recognizing yourself as a sinner because it is the necessary prelude to experiencing the amazing work of God in our midst. If we, don't, if we don't get to that point, we miss out on it all. The party comes to our village and, and we miss it. The Apostle Paul, in this text from 1 Timothy, is the one who tells us about the mission of the Savior. And he reveals that he himself is the prime example of Jesus' restoration work. He writes in 1 Timothy 1.13, Even though I was once a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man. He even refers to himself twice in the text as not merely a sinner, but the worst of sinners. When thinking about ourselves, it's so tempting to say, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, okay, I'm a sinner, but I'm not that bad because I can think of a lot of people who are worse than me. Paul doesn't play that game at all. He knows he was a major fix-it project. He said some pretty bad things about God as a blasphemer. We learn from the book of Acts, and many of us know that even his encounter with Jesus was while he was on his way to persecute the church. And he encounters Jesus in a great light, and Jesus in his voice. This is after Jesus ascended to heaven. says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? 
So in Jesus' own words, Saul is not just persecuting and being mean to other people. He's persecuting Jesus. And he admits to being a violent man. Abusing others physically. Now there are different levels of understanding this. You can think of it in a, a, like a preschool setting where, okay, there's the, there might be a, a child who, who pushes another child down or maybe hits them or pulls someone's hair. That's violence. That might be maybe the G-rated version of violence. But in mixed company, think about what a violent man looks like in your eyes through the spectrum of all the different film ratings. Okay? It's as much as I'm going to say about it from up here. But I think to be really true to Paul's testimony is when he says that he was a violent man, he means that he was a man of violence. Each one of us has a story. Some of our story is known by others and some known only to ourselves, but all is known by God. And sometimes we are the ones who are very hard on ourselves. Any perfectionists among us? Being a perfectionist believer in Christ is a challenge. uh, Because oftentimes we do look at our struggles with sin, which endure in the Christian life. And sometimes as a perfectionist, if we've got that one thing that, that Jesus is still working on us with... We treat that as if it's the worst thing ever and we have no dignity. And yet that's exactly the opposite of what's happening between us and Jesus. Jesus is giving us all the dignity because because he's dignifying us in working on our lives. We build up small sins into something that must be worse. And we suffer from unreasonable guilt. Now, when you think about the larger culture that we live in, that's not where we live. Other times, we dress up heavy-duty sins into something much nicer and presentable. But here's the point. Whatever it is, the carpenter knows how big a project it is. And Jesus can deal with whatever it is, no matter how small or how big. The bottom line is that the tecton's touch transformed Paul's life. He went from being a violent man to a man of peace, known for keeping his cool even when he himself was persecuted, so that he might have a witness even when he was dragged off to prison, which we have many recordings of those stories. And here is how Paul describes Jesus' work of carpentry on his life and soul. The first thing we find Paul saying is that Jesus gave him strength in verse 12. You see, we need strength to admit our failures. We need strength to live into a new life. The second thing that that Paul credits Jesus with is that Jesus showed him mercy. Mercy. Mercy is what we need as sinners Mercy is kindness that we don't deserve. Jesus understands our situation because of his human experience. 
We might judge ourselves as unworthy, and we might look at others and say they are beyond fixing, but Jesus showed Paul and shows us all mercy. Jesus looks at sinners with love and kindness. Jesus smiles at sinners because he knows, he views and sees the finished product when he sees that person. He knows what they can be when his work of restoration is done. Like, like, like a craftsman or a craftswoman can see the finished product before they even start the work. Third, Paul says that Jesus poured out abundant grace. Jesus is glad to work on us. He can't wait to do the work. And he isn't stingy with it. It's abundant grace. And Paul finishes it up by by just saying at the very end of giving Jesus credit that he received faith and love. Jesus gave Paul the faith he needed to believe and the love he needed to affirm him and to build him up. On the carpenter's workbench, this is what touches and shapes and, fi- and fixes our lives. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at four woodworking tools that represent four levels of fix-it work of Jesus, the incarnate carpenter. And as we do, we'll get a sense of the look and the feel of being in the hands of the carpenter, the Savior Jesus, as he uses his restoration hardware to fix our lives. So we're looking at different levels of work. And what we're doing is we're breaking down using Jesus' uh, work as a carpenter uh, and using different woodworking tools to, to demonstrate that, that Jesus' work in our lives is of different levels, different intensities in relation to his work as the one who saves us from our sins. A lot of times we look at it one size fits all, as if there was only one tool that a woodworking carpenter would ever use. Um, if it's, some of us think of Jesus' work with sinners maybe in a very drastic way, like, like Jesus, it's Jesus and his circular saw, so run away, right? If we think that's all that there is, it, that's a horror movie, okay? That's not all there is. Does a carpenter need a saw? Yes, we're going to get to that. But, but there are also other softer shaping type work that, that the carpenter might use. So the first tool we're beginning with is a brush. It's a finishing brush. It's used to fine-tune a project, to make something good even better and more complete, to make it shine. Have you ever worked on a wood project and you just love it, everything's smooth and wonderful, but you haven't put that, that, uh, that shine on it? Or you haven't stained it exactly in the way that you envision it? And that brush, you work that brush And then you step back from it and say, yes, that's exactly what I was going for. The reason why a project might need this work, well, we might need minor adjustments in behavior, a need for greater consistency in our witness for Christ. Perhaps it's the need to be more focused uh, because because of your good works, right, and because of the kind of the, maybe the way that you have walked with Christ and Christ has shaped your lives, you're starting to attract more attention. And now it seems like a bigger thing when you do stumble. 
because it seems so out of character and the spotlight is on you. What might this work look like at this level? Well, let's think of an example. Each one of these examples are going to take uh, an example of speaking, which actually is a big theme in Paul's letter to Timothy, is our speech, what we say, and how that can either be done in a positive way that honors God or a way that expresses our sinfulness. Um, And we'll also talk about giving and generosity, kind of the status of our heart. That's a little bit different spin on this whole idea of of the fix-it project in relation to sin. So, thinking of an example from the words we say, okay, so you're normally kind and thoughtful in what you say, but then you're surprised when something negative comes out of your mouth and right that you know that is not okay, right? There's some stressor happening, and maybe it causes you to flash out and lash out at someone. And you say, this doesn't define me. Why did I do that? And because it's finishing work, you're, you know right when it leaves your mouth, right? You just know it. You wish you could just reach out and grab it. But you know it's sin nonetheless. In an example from our, our, our conduct of giving or being selfish, it might be we are given the chance to do something good, a chance, a chance that we often take. Uh, we often step into that opportunity, but, but this time we don't. Like, like maybe it's we have the opportunity to give money to someone who needs it, and then we think, mm, I'm going to hold on to my cash today. And you miss the chance. Well, what does it feel like to be under Jesus' finishing brush? Well, with humility, you might even enjoy it. Now, hear me out. You know you're not perfect, but you're striving to be the best person you can be and looking to God for the strength to help And you know that this type of work of Jesus on your life will help you be better. To help you be more the person that you yourself want to be. But without humility, this work of the carpenter might hurt our pride a bit. I mean, aren't I good enough? Does God want me to be perfect? I'm not even sure I need this kind of work. Okay, from the finishing brush we go... To the sandpaper. Jesus smooths out our rough edges. We've got a few things that we struggle with, mostly because they rough up or snag others when we brush up against them. You know those times when we find out a little bit more about ourselves because the people we interact with, especially our loved ones, reflect back to us? Why is this tool needed? Well, we need change in a particular area. Sure, we could probably do without it, but it will keep presenting problems for us, and it will rough up our relationships. What it is for each of us might be different, but it's not uncommon for others to know of the need before we are ready to acknowledge it. Jesus might apply the sandpaper to tone down our occasional bursts of angry or mean words that are starting to define us. And our example of giving to others, Jesus might need a heavy grain of sandpaper to smooth us out when our refusal to give to others starts to build up a self-centered life, where out of default we start thinking of our own needs instead of the needs of others. I wonder if that's how it began in Scrooge's life. Just one moment of 
not wanting those rough edges to be smoothed out. And yet it got worse. Well, what does it feel like when Jesus does sandpapering on us and smooths out our rough edges? You know, we've kind of felt that sandpaper. The different grains can be different levels of invasiveness. They might feel different. Small things smoothed out might not hurt, hurt much, but the rougher the problem is, the more it might be painful for us. Learning the truth and trying to change can be tough, especially when Jesus uses other people in the process. But the good news is this. Like when something is sanded smooth, isn't it great to just run your finger along that wood? So smooth. You can feel the difference. There's a real difference between rough wood and smooth wood. And Jesus has the power to smooth out our rough edges. We can be changed and be experienced by others in a completely different way. Now let's move on to one of the more serious levels of work associated with a carpenter, which is that saw. Now where's the saw right now? Pick, hold it up. Where's the saw? We got it over there. Okay, Joyce has the saw. That saw, we hope you're not, if anyone has any injuries, let me know uh, after handling that saw. We'll, we'll do a, a little write-up on that. Uh, it's a toy saw, but it is a craftsman. Did you notice it's craftsman? Um, craftsman, Sears, what's going to happen? I don't know, but craftsman, such a, a, a wonderful name and tools. Uh, a carpenter uses a saw for what? To cut away pieces of wood in order to bring a project into shape. It is strategic removal to shape something good. So it's never just cutting off for cutting's sake. It's always cutting in order to shape something that is being worked on. Well, what, when might Jesus do this kind of cutting away in our lives? When there's a major problem. That's just, it's not going to get better with sandpaper. It needs, there needs to be a, a more of an invasive approach. Something needs to be removed, but we're not sure we want it. Knowing that it is going to hurt. The reason why we have a toy saw is so we won't get hurt. We may also come up with a lot of reasons why we don't need this work. Because we've invested a lot in trying to hide it. Hiding the truth from ourselves or from others. What does this kind of carpentry look like? Well, in our speech, maybe it's gotten out of control. Beyond occasional outbursts of anger, we're turning into an angry person. A person who's hard to live with. Maybe we even escalate it a little further and we become abusive even to the point of violence. And then we think back to Paul's testimony. And yes, this is the work that Jesus, the Savior, had to do in the Apostle Paul's life. He was a man of violence and that needed to be cut away. There needed to be a change, a moving on, a fresh start. And was it painful? Yes. Did it completely change and redirect Paul's life? Absolutely. His life was never the same again. After Jesus did his work of restoration hardware in relation to violence. And how difficult that must have been for Paul. 
but how amazing it is for us when we hear of his story and know that that is the kind of powerful work that Jesus can do in our lives today. In the example of our giving and our potential selfishness, not thinking of others might have shrunk our heart and turned us inward upon ourselves. Maybe we even start to speak negative things, demeaning those who are in need of help. Maybe we actually go on the attack because they're not pulling their weight. And we're convinced that there's a reason why they're in this need in the first place. And then we might even go further to speak ill of those who, in foolishness, think they're going to make a difference by reaching out and helping those in need. We are in need of major heart surgery at that point. This kind of fix-it work is pretty tough because it involves cutting something away. It's painful. We can't envision life without it. It's so much a part of who we are. People who, who are recovering from addictions know this better than most of us. Change seems to be, it seems too painful to be possible. Perhaps we've grown so comfortable with it that we think it's part of us. But like a surgery taking out something that's making us sick, Jesus can work on us and remove it. And this is what Jesus did with Paul's violence. He strategically removed it for the greater good, freed him to be who God created him to be, and we all have benefited. And finally, we have our clamps and glue. Clamps and glue are used by the carpenter to bring together two pieces, perhaps even broken pieces, and make it whole again. And this is ultimately the work of Jesus' restoration in our lives. The ultimate work of the carpenter. Every sin and sin altogether represents a brokenness, a rift, a tearing between God and us. The relationship is broken, and yet Jesus brings us together and holds us together. The clamps and glue is what sticks with us. This, this, it sticks us close to God. It is the closeness that a forgiven sinner a restored sinner can have with the perfect, pure God because of the grace and mercy that are in Jesus Christ. Nothing separates us. We are glued and held together in the security of covenant love. And as Romans 8 says, the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 8, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Recite your list of the worst sins, of the worst of the rated sins, nothing, nothing, nothing. That's some pretty powerful glue and a pretty strong clamp. And the final word is this. Jesus applies these tools of restoration hardware patiently. Verse 16 Paul says, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Immense patience. As an example for us 
those of us who are given the opportunity to believe in Jesus and receive eternal life. In the hands of the carpenter, we experience restoration hardware patiently applied. Amen.